Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request and I am your host, Justin Lamb. This is the long-awaited episode 33, my interview with Adam Lamb, my older brother. Uh, A lot of people, when I told them I was doing this, were very curious. Uh, Me and my brother historically do not have a good relationship. Um, And you know, we're civil now and uh, his family's great and I think he's definitely like toned down his aggression (laughs) and stuff and uh, I'm sure he could bitch about me for a while that's I guess that's how brothers work but um, this was this was a very interesting unique different interview because I I made it my goal to separate myself from the interview as far as my personal relationship with my brother Uh, to the point where like I ask questions you know like when did your parents get divorced uh, because obviously I know the answer to that, but, um, you know, I interviewed him like he was a, someone I was interviewing. So I, I did a good job, but there are definitely some, some things he says where I, I had to bite my tongue cause I had gut reactions to them. And I was like, Nope, interview mode. <laughs> but, uh, really, really interesting to hear a different perspective of somebody that you live in the same household with for decades and um, how much different their experience is than yours. So enjoy my interview. This is the last uh, last in-person interview I have recorded. Very sad. Uh, enjoy my, my non-quarantined interview. This is February 29th. This was on Leap Day, I believe, that we recorded this with Adam Lamb. But yeah, thank you. Thanks for doing this. And we're at your office. So this is this is it's like my third or fourth off-site interview, which is always a little weird. I have a little spiel and people come over. I walk them through the house and get them to the basement, herd them to the basement. This will be your first one in Texas then. Yeah, first one in Texas. I might have done a beer podcast in Texas back when I was in Dallas, but, mm. <laughs> but this is my first good podcast. Um but yeah, thanks thanks for having me in your office and doing this. And uh, I typically start with how I know people, but that's pretty pretty obvious. I've known you since I was born. Yeah. Um, so let's go back a little further than that. You were born about three three and a half years before me. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are mom and dad doing when you're born? You know, I think of like early memories, and I I don't really. I don't remember much. I remember like the house we lived in. I remember uh, the neighbor next door was an older couple, but they had some grandkids that would come over. James and Alon. Still remember their names. <laughs> um, Those are the kids' names. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, I remember like snow in the yard. I remember riding in a lawnmower with my dad sometimes. Like. Those are kind of like trying to think of like my oldest. Well, what were let's let's memories. what were mom and dad doing for work when you were born? So, dad worked at uh, Christman Cadillac, which is now Mercedes Benz dealership on Woodward. Oh, really? And uh, and a lot of cool memories going there. He we he had a guy that he worked with that collected these Intertech um, water guns. Okay, if you may not remember those, but mm-hmm. they looked. I mean, they looked real as hell and. He had like they're like hanging on his wall in his office, like on display. And uh, I remember going to his office or going to his work sometimes on a Saturday and 
getting to like load those things up with the water. They're battery operated. They're oh, nice. Yeah. So I remember something like kind of cool like that <clears throat> as a kid. But and then uh, my mom worked at State Farm, and um, I, mean, I don't remember exactly where her office was at that time. It may have been out, you know, thirty minutes, forty-five minutes away. I remember she complained about the drive often. Yeah. So your brother, myself, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Born in year three. Do you remember? So you remember before me? Do you have any any pre? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if I can kind of, you know, between like pictures and memory. You yeah, know? we kind of create our own narrative based on the photos and people telling us stories and stuff. Right. I mean, there's definitely things I remember, whether it was before you were born or not before you were born. I, I don't know. I, yeah. I, don't, you know, I don't recollect. There's like buckets, right, of a kid, yeah. like this house, that house, you know. And through the phases of life, I think uh, we do that. Do you think you had, like, do you remember having any, I don't know, I don't think envy is the right word, but, you know, like, you're the only person getting all the attention, and then all of a sudden this other thing comes along. Kind of no, like a what the fuck moment. No, it's a, good, it's a good question. I actually think I welcomed it. I think I thought it was cool um, to have a, a sibling, to have a brother. Yeah. I think I, I, I never for a second can remember having any kind of, like, Oh, it was a new, you know, someone coming in to take your, my attention or whatever. Yeah. Um, not at all. No. How long are parents together before they get divorced? Yeah. So they were divorced. I believe. Or how I was, old were you rather? Yeah. Yeah. So I was seven and I remember, you know, I don't remember them ever having a decent relationship. So, yeah, I was going to ask you that. Did you, was it obvious that that was the road they were heading down just as a kid? Like, did you see the toxicity there or... Like, do you remember stuff like arguments or was it just something that happened when you were a kid? Yeah. And so and, and through this, we'll probably talk a lot of like perspective view back of like, yeah, yeah. as you know, like I'm 40 now, I've been married for 13 years. I got two kids, like yeah. I've launched multiple, I figured a lot of things out, but as a kid, you don't know any different. And as a kid, you don't know any different than a lot of times, unfortunately what you're taught. And just because they're, you're or in the presence of adults doesn't mean that you're actually getting good advice or, or being yeah. brought up the right way. But it's funny when you get older, you realize adults don't know everything. <laughs> yeah. And so it's funny. And, and I find myself patient with my son sometimes with things with teachers and schools. Yeah. I'm like, they're adults and like, that doesn't mean they know everything. You know, they just might be really good at English class or something yeah. like that. But anyway, so I, you know, I, I don't ever remember there being a good uh, relationship. I, I thought, the relationship was always dad drank, mom was always upset. And I feel like, you know, now that I'm older, I look at it and I think that there's a man who questioned his self-worth and didn't know how to behave. And so he felt great when he was drinking. Mm -hmm. And I think that my mom was a woman who didn't understand adversity. She didn't understand challenges in her life. I mean, I think she struggled to overcome some things sometimes and blamed the alcohol and you know and then she had her own vices too and so as a kid i just remember being like why are you guys always arguing like being in an environment of constant disappointment um even as a young kid i, I called our grandparents which was our mom's grandparents and i was like mom and dad need to get a divorce and you remember doing that yeah i remember on the little white phone on on my mom's side of the bed I mean, that I, I yeah. told her I can like physically remember doing that. So you would have been younger than seven. Yeah, uh, yeah, probably, probably, or just 
just turned seven maybe. I How think. did you even know what that was? I mean, did you have friends that had divorced parents as well? Mm, I don't know. I <clears throat> Not necessarily, but probably watching TV. I mean, yeah. when I was seven, I thought you got, everybody got AIDS from this. <laughs> like just H- like AIDS. The 80s was, like, was a weird time. It was, no, it was. It was a big deal. It actually, like turned me, like I'd watch uh, like MTV yeah. music, or I'm sorry, Nickelodeon actually had music videos on. And I remember I'd watch like, that's why I never got into 80s music. So Michelle and I kind of joke. That's my wife. Uh, she loves like Poison and yeah. White Sick. And I'd see those guys in like their tights, their hair, and their makeup. I'm like, they all have AIDS. That, that's, those, are the, those are the guys. They're the ones everyone who say that's, that's what I thought. I thought everyone did. And, and, it, and the point I'm making on that is watching as a child being exposed to yeah. headlines and things like that, like you don't know. And so like you're absorbing information without good guidance and it helps you, it starts formulating and building like pieces of your character of fear and, and what you may like or what you didn't like, you know? Yeah. And so I think that I probably just saw a lot of stuff like divorce on TV and, um, you know, it wasn't prevalent at our age and, and where we lived especially, but people, people did get divorced. So parents divorce, you're seven years old. What is your, what happens to your home life? How does that change? Honestly, I I remember having a relief because I knew that separation was, you know, if two things cause fire, separating those two things is sometimes better. You know, one other thing I'll mention in this too is that the hindsight piece of like in life, God may do something at a certain time that doesn't make sense, that, that you may spend most of your life questioning, regretting. And then being able later on to come full circle and be like, wow, that was actually a blessing. And so, um, and not to skip ahead, but I'm just going to preface some things as we go into the timeline. Yeah, we try to stick to timeline and then end up jumping around anyway. Every yeah. time. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll come back and revisit it. But I say that because, so, you know, I think a lot of people would think, oh, mom and dad are splitting up, devastation. I think if I did it to my own, to my own kids, it would feel, you know, immediately you're creating this, dysfunction, disruption, this uh, challenge of the norm type thing. But what I knew is norm of this fighting and yelling and throwing stuff in the house. Like I just knew that wasn't good. That wasn't how it was supposed to be. Cause I had other friends whose parents that go to their house. And I'm like, well, no one ever yelling or screaming in here. No one's like coming home drunk. And, yeah. and so I knew that it was for the better. Um, but, you know, as a kid, you don't know beyond that. And I think that's where a lot of, uh, at that time, though, I think that's where a lot of sort of my bad baggage started to build up. Because, you know, when two people separate and they're both financially responsible, um, it change, it makes a financial challenge for one of the individuals, you know, for mom. Like, for example, she couldn't afford the house that we lived in then, right? And so we had to sell the house and that was like a surprise thing. I remember we went to Florida actually, or we went to, we went to Florida to stay with our dad. Cause he so yeah, Florida. I'm going to jump on that real quick. Yeah. Just, uh, so when they divorced, mm-hmm. he moved to Florida, but not right away. He lived, he moved from like, we lived in Clarkson. He moved to Rochester. So like 20 minutes away. Did he? Yeah. So right. he, he had a place there and you went there before, but what's funny about that, where he lived there, where like, did he live in Rochester? I didn't, I, I had no idea. Yeah. That's why I said, so there's a lot, you know, but there's a lot that may come oh, up yeah, just no. through That's, a different perspective. And so yeah, he younger. lived in a place in Rochester and, um, and I think that was why he still worked at his work. But the, the kooky thing about it is I remember 
going there for like a weekend and I remember the furniture that was there. Yeah. And I remember when he, so then he, the, he, he was actually having an affair with what was now our stepmom yeah. uh, that he met at work. But, you know, as a kid, you don't get shared that stuff. And I think yeah. my mom probably would have wanted to, but you know, we're seven and like three. So yeah. like, it didn't make sense, but <clears throat> that was her furniture. He was living with her in in Rochester. Gotcha. Because when he moved to Florida and we were first went to visit, I was like, I remember this like, entertainment furniture. center or whatever. Yeah. Like I, I remembered the furniture yeah. and I, and it, you know, like I was, I don't want to like toot my horn. Like I was a sharp kid, but I was very, um, I just, I paid attention more than the average person. And I kind of process stuff and I still do that uh, today, I think with business, but I just, these key things always stood out to me. And like, I remember like, I remember he had albums in a crate next to that, like uh box. And I knew some of them weren't his and they were also, or ones I wasn't aware of, and they also had him in Florida yeah. when he lived down there too. So like, yeah, they were, you know, that he moved in with her basically when he moved out from mom. But I didn't, you know, at that time I wasn't like yeah. putting that stuff together. I was just like trying to figure out. So then he moves to Florida. Custody becomes essentially full, like hundred percent on your mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and we go down there what once a year in the summer. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they try to swing it for like a holiday or it's like an Easter yeah. I remember some Easter's, it's maybe even some Christmas. I remember Easter getting a gummy snake that was three feet long. Yeah, yeah, I'm <laughs> sure. And that was in their second house, um, not their first. They had a first house um, that they they rented for a little bit before they bought their second house. Do you remember how old you are when your dad gets remarried? Well, it's a it's a, it's actually a funny story too. So we, you and I, were in Florida, and we were driving back, and I liked Sharon. Um, she was cool. She was like the, I felt like she tried to overcompensate. Yeah. Um, the hip stepmom. Yeah. She was, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, and, and so she was always like, well, cool. Like, what do you want? Shopping or. Oh yeah. Like I got that. to get cap and crunch whenever I was down there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Ate like a fat kid down there. Right. And, but she, uh, I remember we were going to, going to, or coming back from our, our grandma lamb that lived in Miami. Yeah. So we would go down, we'd go see my dad. Then we'd go down and see, see them. And I remember driving back and, and he was like, he's like, Adam, you like Sharon, right? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, Justin, you like Sharon? You're like, no. <laughs> and I was like, why? And I just, I don't know. Like I said, going back to intuition, I was like, yeah, there's an ulterior he, motive like, there. He married her. And I, he, well, and so I was like, well, why are you asking? I was like, yeah, well, why do you get, are you going to marry her? And he's like, well, yeah, he's like, well, we kind of got married. And he kind of just like threw it out there. Yeah, I remember. And I, and I feel like I knew it then. I could tell, you know, because a kid, like I said, paying attention, I could see that they're kind of intimate and they're, I, I, I might even have caught like a ring on a finger or something like that. So my gut knew like they were, yeah. kind of, they were married. Yeah, you're definitely older and more aware than I was at yeah. that age. I just remember that being like a, I just remember finding out they got married and I didn't like my new mom. It was a big thing that mom didn't know. Mm-hmm. And like, so it was like, they kind of secretly got married and now looking back, it's crazy as an adult. I'm like, you don't want to invite your kids to that shit. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Well, I mean, that, that guy had a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of regret. I mean, he took, I can't think of another human being I've ever met that I think went to the grave with more regret than our dad. It's sad. But, yeah. and I'll talk about that perspective as we go through the timeline, because so, you know, going back, so we're, and it may even have been right around that time where we came home from visiting him and there's a for sale sign in our yard. 
Yeah. And we did another thing. And that was one of the things I think, like, I make sure I do with my kids. And I would recommend other people do with their kids the best they can, like, unemotionally communicate. Right? So it's like, fly down to Florida to see your dad. Oh, hey, guess what? I got married. Didn't tell you that. And you're like, oh, great. Thanks. Because guess what? It makes me feel like I'm not important to be in the loop. Oh, yeah. And then I fly home to my house and find out that we're moving. We have to sell it because we can't afford to stay in that house anymore. And it's like, oh, here's one more. So you're just, yeah, you're feeling rejection left and not, right. Not rejection as much as like not being in the loop. You know, like, yeah, not, but that's got to make you feel unimportant to some It degree. makes you feel, yeah, insecure. Yeah. It makes you feel um, not always unimportant, but it, it takes away your, uh, kind of your, your, your confidence in things, yeah. especially as a child, because you can't control stuff, you know, like, and it, you know, becoming a dad and all that stuff, it made me realize like how sensitive I have to be to not create that. Like, I mean, like that zero to seven years, like you can destroy someone. Oh yeah. I mean, they're really like, that's when someone really, their foundation of like who they are, their character and stuff like that really starts to get built. They're taking in literally everything around yeah. them. And you can tell them they're dumb. You can put them in fear. You can do all these things and like, or you don't, you know, and that's why, like, just because you can have a baby doesn't mean that you're going to be a good parent. Yeah. And it's important to really, really learn what not to do, even over what to do. But I remember that. And it's like, I, when I think of that pulling in, I remember it was dark. And so, like, I could see that I could still see the headlights shining on the sign. And it's the same guy named Ozzy who sold us the lot when we bought the house. And it was the same guy who was selling it for us. And I remember, like, it was dark, and, and I just, it sounds goofy, but I remember this darkness that just, I feel like this darkness that started in my life at that moment, right? And, um, and then, you know, from there, we sold the house and moved in with our grandparents who lived not far away up the street, fortunately, and they're great people, and, and uh, I think it was, it was good that we did that. I think it took a huge burden from a stress standpoint from a loneliness standpoint yeah. for everybody um and then probably have you know we got to stay in the same schools and stuff like that which was which was good so the it could have been worse you know yeah is uh is how i look at it and so you mentioned uh kind of a darkness starting there so what's what's the next you know the rest of your childhood into your teenage years look like and how, what do you what do you mean by that that darkness well, yeah, I mean, the, what's crazy is the answer to that really didn't come to recently in the last couple of years of my life. Um, but, and, I, and I've shared this story maybe a little bit before, kind of when I came to know God and, and things like that. And, it, and through that process, I had this vision kind of back to who I was at seven years old. It was that same yeah. boy, that same kid who basically thought God forgot about him. And, and I remember that darkness being that same time of being like, eh, you know, I guess like some people just get the short end of the stick. Yeah. That's life. Like some people just get looked over. And I think from there, I think I was just more negative, more pessimistic. Yeah. Just I, acting out and stuff. And uh, Not as much as just, just kind of like low self-esteem. Didn't, you know, I remember, I'll never forget going into second grade. Um, Kendra Fantetti, who I think I'm Facebook friends with now, <laughs> but I'll never forget like wanting to play football and her saying like, 
oh, you can't, that's a hundred dollars suit. You can't afford that. And like, and I just, I'll, and these are things I'm, you know, I'm sharing with you that help drive me later on in life. To, well, it's funny that someone in second grade, even yourself would understand your parents' financial situation. Yeah, Cause one thing it's uh, out of all the interviews I do, this common theme comes across that you're kind of unique and not sharing this. And that is, um, anyone that's been through anything as a child, uh, whenever I talk to him about it, uh, like divorce and, and, uh, or just like maybe the father or mother wasn't in the picture for the entire time, whatever. Um, when I ask them about it, everyone has the same response. And that is, that's just what normal, that's what I thought normal was. And you have commented a couple times on the fact that you knew that wasn't normal because you'd see other families or you'd see on TV or you'd see, you'd see that that dynamic wasn't matching what you had at home. So you recognized it wasn't normal, which is actually, I think it's important to point out, a pretty unique perspective at such a young age because most people think that what their life is is, is normal. I mean, that's because what else do you know? Uh, so that's it's interesting that you you have that perspective at that age and that other people do and are apparently giving you shit for it <laughs> you know yeah but I, I think that you know i i go through the, those younger years and think of these certain kind of milestone situations that like, but like that thing second grade i still remember sitting in the yeah. playground her be like you can't play football you can't afford it and i remember being like devastated and, and also like that was factual our mom couldn't afford the hundred dollars yeah. Nor did she have the the time, to, you know. Like we did, we did play some pee wee baseball stuff and yeah. um, Burger King yeah. was my team. Yeah, and, but and so like we did, it, we didn't like go without those things. But but I just remember that like it's just like going and telling a kid like you are too dumb to do that, and then that kid never pursues yeah. that. And I think like, geez, that's like one of the worst. I'd rather you be a drug dealer than tell a kid that. You know yeah. what I mean? Because it's so terrible to. But, you know, it's kid. kids. Are, kids are kids. Yeah. And guess what? We're a reflection of our parents, right? Yeah. And so guess what? I'm sure her mom and dad were not great people, right? Or didn't raise her to be great people. Yeah. And um, it doesn't, I mean, I imagine it doesn't help too. And this is probably something that uh, lead, like leads into the drive that you have now. As we grew up in, I mean, for I got a lot of people that aren't in Clarkston that listen to this. So Clarkston is like a pretty wealthy area. Like it's got its, it's few streets that are a little lower income, medium income, but most of it is, is pretty like pretty well off people. And so I know like a lot of your friends and stuff growing up, like they lived literally a quarter mile down the street and had like houses. that were three times the size and, uh, both parents made a bunch of money. And so I imagine being surrounded by that and then having these other kids telling you that you can't do this because of money. Yeah. That's got to be just this thing that's like, all right, well, I need to get to that. Well, it, well, the the problem is you you believe the bullshit. So you, you start believing that you can't do things. Yeah. And then you believe that why even try because I've already made up my mind that I can't. And so, I look, I mean, I look back at, um, and all this is why I'm a youth leader in my church. I spend so much time with young people because I want to tell them, like, that fear is a liar. That's bullshit. There's yeah. a lot of idiots out there that are going to tell you bad information and I, I want to be there to like be the voice in their life so that they can believe in themselves to pursue stuff that a bunch of you know people that probably don't believe in themselves told them they want to keep passing that yeah. negativity on and so i think um yeah that was something that i was just like yeah that's it and then you find it like you get it you know you don't you're lacking attention and so like i found that i got attention through getting in trouble and you know and then i got into junior high and and um 
I got attention from girls, and I was like, my whole game changed. I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is cool. And then All I right. got, yeah. And then I think I got into like, you know, you get more into that trouble path and getting in fights. And I was like, ooh, I'm pretty tough. I'll never forget the first time. This is back in fifth grade. Uh, I got punched in the face. This kid, Mike Stone, who uh, his dad was like in jail, and I, and I, I remember saying something to him and. I was just like, it was like a low blow. We were playing some sport thing, and he, he beat me, and I was like, something like, at least my dad's not in jail or something like that, yeah. even though, like, my dad wasn't even around. Yeah. And I remember he punched me right in the face. And, I, and like, that was like, and we fought. And I remember, like, that was the first time I was like, holy shit, I'm pretty tough. <laughs> and I remember that was in fifth grade. But anyway, and then I remember just going into junior high and, uh, you know, kind of like the older kind of trouble kids. And here's the deal, like, sometimes – one of the reasons why kids get in trouble is they don't feel accepted. So they gravitate to a bunch of other kids that are yeah. getting in trouble that don't feel accepted. Yeah. And then you got a whole bunch of, you know, maybe bad influences. And I still, you know, I'm still really good friends with all the guys we grew up with, but we all got into a shit ton of trouble. We all did a bunch of stuff we shouldn't have and stuff I wouldn't want my kids to do. Uh, but and, and by the grace of God, all came through it, but and, and probably not all really smooth, but, uh, you know, I think you go down that path because you're like, I'm not going to go, you know, these guys don't judge me because everybody's, you know, they're like broken home or yeah. some, some goofy stuff. And so, like, it was like, oh, hey, I, we're, you're like me. And then, you know, maybe heading down the path of doing some thug stuff. So, because now we're getting into, like, high school, teenage years. Um, you mentioned this in the beginning. So, Dad, I mean, obviously I know, but Dad had a drinking problem. Yeah. Um, alcoholism is a wonderful thing that runs in our family yeah how did that start affecting you as a, like as a, when you as a teenager were you early to drink you know I, i'll tell you that i remember the, everything about the first time i drank and so i was always kind of like yeah like it just didn't it didn't appeal to me yeah um to do it because i think there was so much pain attached to alcohol and i and we were at uh dan Karen, Dan Robinson's, yeah. is, me and Dan and Tim actually, I think was there too. We were staying at his dad, Randy's house and his stepmom Zora had like these wine coolers in the fridge. <laughs> and so Dan's like, and I think it started with, you know, Dan had an older brother, Mikey. And, yeah. and I think Mike was like, you know, so he was older. So he was like, Oh, come here, try this. And, um, and I remember we had a couple, like we snuck these wine coolers and I think she knew, but it, you know, like a, what are, what the bottles you know Bartles and James or something like that yeah and then we went out on our like push scooters and I remember like the wind in my face and I just felt so free and <laughs> how old are you worried I was probably 14 wow. and and I'll and I remember getting pushing the scooter and talking and getting hit like there's a tree hanging over a sidewalk <laughs> and it just floored me and um I was like Ooh, you know and, and I remember I was like all dizzy and I was like whoa yeah this is something else you know, it was like one wine cooler yeah yeah and so we went back to uh dan's dad's house too and then i remember we watched the movie the doors and oh we, like, yeah had a wine so we probably i was probably like two total wine coolers for the day watching the doors watching Jimi hendrix he's like you know on every kind of drug you can think of and uh and i think that that was the first time we drank and, and i think every other time for that's a uh... Vale Kilmer, right? Plays Jim Morrison. In yep. <laughs> yeah. And then I remember, you know, with my buddies, Dan and Terry, we definitely did our share of drinking for us and all of our family members to come. Yeah. Uh, and what's funny is I don't think, I think they don't drink either anymore. Um, I know Dan doesn't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember like drinking some Zimas and then, 
you know, we'd get 40s because that's what the rappers did, which all tasted ter- absolutely terrible. And then, like you just, the next thing you know, it's like what we did in the weekends. You know, I got into high school. And this is where I think sports is so important is I think had I been really dedicated to a sport, I would have been less likely. I just, you know what, idle time is freaking bad news. And that, and that, and for me, there was, it was idle time. When did you, you were in the chiefs, the Clarkston chiefs. Yeah, that was, it was junior high, but okay. it was different. I just think, you know, like my son plays pretty aggressive soccer, travel yeah, soccer. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, what it is, is it's like, it's weekends together, right? Yeah. Or we're with his soccer friends and we're at a, you know, like a couple weeks ago, we were in San Antonio together. Yeah. You know, we take over the hotel, the kids are running around, like, you know, they're getting a little mischief chasing each other and doing whatever, but like, it's good, clean, somewhat supervised fun you know what i mean they're good kids and i think that sports can really bring in that environment and i I think it's a good idea just even if it's not sports but just it's being involved you know like when your parents are friends with your friend's parents you know you can do vacations those are things like i always i would say like these you know you know mike jim and trevor are all going on a ski trip to you know boyan or something like that together and i was like god that looks so fun right like they're all their they're, they're good friends. They're going, their parents are all hanging out. We didn't, our mom didn't hang out a bunch with our friends. And that's something I think that parents, when the parents all hang together too, yeah. you're less likely for your kids to, I mean, we would, we were like, Hey, I'm staying at Dan's. Dan would be like, I'm staying at Terry's and Terry would be like, I'm staying at Dan's house. We we'd do a dance house, in the basement girls over his mom was like working, you know, like yeah, uh, yeah. she, she bartended. So like she was always going to late. We we're like, up to have people out by, you know, two, which <laughs> You know, and that's like early high school years. Yeah. And so, like, we could like run the mischief show because of uh, we had a decent hustle. We were we were not great kids. So, uh, high school, you graduate high school barely. What does barely mean? Well, I mean, high school. Why don't if you look back and ask me like, what is the hardest time in your life? All right. And I've built businesses. I've had my ass kicked. I've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. High school is harder. Yeah. High school is so hard. What because, made high school so hard? Because it's like you're going through this time of like trying to figure out who you are. You have a, a society of whether it's adults or, or it's peep kids telling you who you are, who you should be. Everybody's pressuring you to like figure out like, so what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I'm like, like, honestly, I was like, I guess I'll probably be like a stripper. Like I like to work out. I'm like, seriously, that's yeah. like, that was the, the expectation. I had, I had a myself. lot of attention from women. Right. And I was, I did get a lot of attention. I was yeah. good. I mean, that was like one thing I was good. At. I was like, let's see, like, girls like me. Um, I like to work out. You know, I started working out like junior high or like junior year high school. I'm like, that's what I thought. I was like, Oh, I just looked at this probably just going down this other path because I couldn't, there's no way I can get into college. There's no, I mean, I barely graduated high school. Um, I literally had to pass my pre-algebra the fourth year in a row and I took it in summer school and I took it in night school I couldn't pass like six times I had to try I couldn't pass it uh, which is so funny because I can I eventually was a portfolio manager for one of the largest mortgage companies in the country <laughs> and but in the, and I say that because the point being is like you may be bad at something in a certain season yeah. because it's not being delivered to you in the right way or because you're not ready to receive it right yeah. I was also like let me take the blame of I didn't give a shit about school. I didn't care. Yeah. And so like one of the biggest things I push on my son, I'm like, listen, dude, you, you may not use this later in life. I respect that you look at it and say it's kind of dumb, but you got to play the game. Yeah. Just win this part of the game. It's a mandatory part of the game. You got to do it. It's like warming up for practice. Even though you might think you're Kobe or Jordan, you still got to go to practice. You still have to do yeah. those things. And, and uh, because I just thought, 
you know, I was like that rebel bad kid that I was like, hell with it, you know, like, and, but what it did is it created this crazy amount of insecurity, even worse, right? I mean, I still have nightmares of like failing classes. I still have nightmares of like, where's my locker? I still have nightmares of like, what, like going. Part of like, your head is still there. Part, yeah, no, it is. And yeah. it, it, there's part of it that's like, like there's four weeks left of the school year and I don't even remember doing a single thing because I didn't. I mean, there's, yeah. there's a lot of, there's classes where a teacher would be like, Hey, listen, I'll give you a D minus if you just don't come anymore because I was so disruptive. I'd be like, sweet. Yeah. I always tell people it's funny because, uh, both of us, I graduated by one class and with a 1.9 GPA and I waited 10 years to go to school and now I have three degrees and I've been on the Dean's list every semester. I was in school. That's awesome. Cause I just uh, like, yeah, if you don't, I was there for the social aspect, you know? And I think, uh, you did something similar. Like you were in a large social circle in high school from yeah. what I remember. And I, I got so much social tension for being the class clown that I, I was like, this is what I'm doing here. And I'm having a time in my life. Of course, right. academically it was, well, and then school's over. Now what? You're yeah. a class clown to yourself. So you mentioned no college college wasn't even on your radar when you graduated. No, but you know, I, I think, um, it's, you know, a lot of times too, another thing going back to high school is you just, you're trying to fit in wherever you fit in. Like, and so it's like, you're trying to just do the things that people are doing. And I think partying and drinking was kind of like my cruise thing and girls, like, you know, like we are always like trying to date the girls from the different areas yeah. around and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think that a similar thing is though, is we're like, okay. And then after like, you know, the number one question asked the high school kids is, so what are you doing after you graduate? That's a lot of pressure on a kid. that doesn't know anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And especially if your parents haven't taken the time to culture you on different things. Yeah. Like if you haven't traveled, you haven't toured stuff, you know? And, and I think I don't like to go and like the point to blame at our parents, but like, here's the deal. If our parents were more involved and our parents were trying to be good role models and our parents were showing us the way that they believed in us by not just saying, I believe in you. You're great. You're my, you know, you're my baby, but saying, you know, I know definitely our dad never, never said shit like that. But I think that actually saying like sitting down and spending time, cause I know like I spend more time with students that aren't my kid than my parents spent with me talking about their future, about like what drive, what motivates you? Okay, great. Well, let me, and it's showing them a path like, Hey, you love doing this. Well, did you know you could do this mm -hmm. and then this? And they're like, whoa. And I'm helping them see a pathway to pursuing something yeah. that may make, that, that A can make, they can make money in a business or like whatever it might be, as opposed to being like, eh, maybe you should just go get a job. You know, just go, you know, to me, I was like graduating high school and I just got to get a job. I just got to like, Figure it out. Get a job. What was your job after high school? Well, in high school, I had to work. You did. I don't think you did. But I worked. I, wor I started working at 14, my friend. Where? Wendy's. Then um, I worked at Arbor Drugs, which turned into CVS. And then I worked at Blockbuster. Hmm. I had a lot I, of job, jobs all through high school. I don't remember you working at Wendy's at 14. But oh, I yeah. started working at 14. So I turned December 27th. I turned 14. And December 28th. I, I started working at National Coney Island, busting tables. That was another thing, too, busting tables. Uh, I'd have to bust tables and wash dishes. And on Friday nights, everybody would come in after the football game. So it's like kind of all the the kids that I kind of envied a little bit. They're all coming in. They're all hanging out, mom and dad's money. And I'm, like, cleaning yeah, the tables, washing yeah. dishes, going, like. That's got to create. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh. man, I wish I was hanging. Look, I, like, that's where I want to be. Yeah. But instead, I was getting out of work at 2 in the morning with some other, like, older guys that were thugs. And we're like 
going to smoke weed or something like that, right? Yeah. And it just and it's because like th- those are the guys that accepted me over the guys who I really actually probably wanted to be with, right? Yeah. And um, and then I worked at like Kroger. I always worked, but and I'm trying to think where I got. Out of. So anyway, graduated high school though I didn't know. I worked at a tanning salon for Joe Donofrio. Then he was a good guy. He 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 would did a lot for me. Um, but he, uh, I worked at the tanning salon, which is stupid. I mean, I remember Dan and I would like literally work together and take naps. Like Dan would work the front desk, <laughs> and I'd go take a nap because we were like out partying or something. And then yeah. we'd like flip flop. But there's even a time where we'd take a nap behind the front counter. So like Dan or me, myself, whoever was taking the nap, the other person's like greeting people, and someone's on the floor sleeping. That's funny. It was, oh, it's so funny. Yeah, we we're just total morons. Uh, and then I think though I wanted to. I thought you know what. I'm going to go to college and be a cop. So I, I uh-huh. wanted to be a cop. And I went to OCC for like a semester and a half. And uh, I was like, I can't be a cop. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to shoot first <laughs> and ask questions later. Because you start seeing all these things. I'm like, these poor guys and girls have to deal with these crazy maniac people. Like, yeah. I could. I was like, there's no way. I'm punching everybody or shooting them <laughs> like if yeah. they, and so i was like i definitely i'll end up in jail. well I imagine your mindset at that point was like i can fix things with violence pretty easily <laughs> yeah i mean i mean it wasn't that, that wasn't it but i just think of like i see a lot of just even watching tv and you just see stuff like i, I learned that when the cops show up you just shut up yeah and respect them right, right. like we got we got our butts kicked by some cops when we were younger and we had it coming we were mouthing off or like you know parties field parties and um I'll never forget one time out. We were out at a party, and we 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 stole a keg from uh, this girl Aaron's party, and it was in the back of my buddy Dan Dan uh, Dan Brown's. He had a probe, so we had the back hatch of the Ford probe propped with a keg hanging out <laughs> in high school. Yeah, going through the Burger King drive-through <laughs> with two other cars of like morons. And Andrew Stutzman worked at the Burger King, and we're like. Stutz and he'd like just hooked us up with tons of bur- uh, with Big Macs or whatever or uh, Whoppers yeah. and then we're sitting in the parking lot like not even thinking but there's a keg hanging out the back like, well not even thinking like <laughs> duh right and yeah. so sure enough cops roll up and they're actually like cool like the, except for I was mouthing off and, I, and I, at first I was alright so they're just gonna like take us home took the keg take us home yeah. like that's that's how long ago that was like that was like back in the day yeah um, like all the cops knew, you know, like yeah. they knew you were. They just dump your shit out and get home safe. Yeah. Well, so they take us home. And I remember, um, they, Josh, I think Josh Lafferty was in the car with me, uh, but he uh, he was in the car with me, and I live closer to Burger King, so he, they took me home first, and then him. And we we're going to walk in the house, and uh, we we're walking, and my mom's like, "Who's with you?" Because she never knew, like we'd just like randomly have people sleep over or something like that. And I'm like, "Yeah, just some." jerk cop messed with me and my friend you know he grabbed me by my collar and um actually this is a kind of an important story he grabbed me by my collar and just right, pulled me right out of the house right on my ass dragged me back to the car my mom's like what do you do about it? you know and, and i surely had this coming and he's like i was gonna drop him off but he's mouthing off he's taking a breathalyzer and getting an mip which is like a hundred dollar fine um and so I took a breathalyzer and I blew like 0.298 or something. Jesus. And I remember the whole thing. And he's like, ma'am. And this wasn't, he called later. He's like, ma'am, your son blew a 0.298. They're like, that's serious. He's, I was like 11th grade. He's like, he, he's got a drinking problem. And that was the first time like it really hit where I was like, 
I guess I could drink. You know, like I, I totally remember that whole thing. Yeah. And that was a junior in high school. And so to me, I thought it was kind of cool because I was rebellious. I'm a badass. I'm like bragging how much, you know, what Got I, you know, giant like just, alcohol tolerance. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so I, that was a kind of a time where I look back and I think, hello, writing's on the wall. You know, like those yeah. are the situations where like you decide to quit drinking, but I'm like, no, I'm going to just keep leaning into this thing. But, uh, so I ended up not going to school anymore after a while. I started working with, uh, Terry's uncle, my buddy Terry's uncle, painting houses. He was paid me ten bucks an hour, and I was like, "Hell yeah, right?" And and he he couldn't drive because he had like eighteen DUIs. So yeah, he, yeah so <laughs> he's a different. He's a different guy. He's R.I.P. But um, and so and that was you know I was painting houses and doing that stuff, and so just kind of like doing these. And the reason I share all that is because I just did a bunch of like odd jobs to just try to make money. And I think I didn't really see a light until I first started waiting tables and bartending and meeting people that like believed in me. Like, you know, you have like these regulars that are millionaire business owners. Like when I worked at the palace, I've talked to, and these guys were like, I don't know. I just, they, I felt like I connected with them and I, you know, they're always like, come on, you could do this. And, and that's what actually got me out of bartending and into when I started doing mortgages. I had some guys that would come up there and they're like, man, anytime you want to come work for us. And so I actually hit the guy up after, right after Michelle and I got, we're going to get married. I was like, I can't stay bartending. You know, that's maybe yeah. I'm fast forwarding too far, but, um, well, there is like a good chunk of your twenties. I mean, that's, it was chasing women and chasing the party. That's, I mean, that's all it was. Yeah. Just that's, it was wake up, work out. Like and if we, I mean, at bartending, we worked like four days I'd make, I'd work like four days a week, making a thousand bucks a week. I mean, it was stupid. Yeah. Like for, you know, me and, I lived at Tewksbury for like six years. We had like a rent was like five hundred bucks. You know, like it was Shithole Creek, yeah, right a passage. Yeah, it was, <laughs> and so like, uh, yeah, it's like twenties, just no direction. It was like, yeah, girls and partying, and like that's all I cared about because at the end of the day, I was like, what else is there? You know what I mean? I was, I was making more money than I thought I'd ever make yeah. at a like a day job type thing. And so I was like, I'm just gonna do this. But something so because I mean, I, obviously I. I I knew you in your twenties. We lived in the same apartment complex at some point. Yeah. <laughs> um, you came to some of the parties. Yeah. Some, uh, somewhere though, something changes. Cause you, you meet your wife, mm-hmm. your now wife. Um, and I, I mean, I don't know exactly what's going on there, but I know like she was on the same cover of clutch cargoes flyers as you were. <laughs> uh, so yeah. like what, what changes to where you're like, Oh, I'm going to, like not necessarily with your career yet, but something like I'm not going to chase anymore. I found this person like that's the first switch to flip, right? Because you're kind of going aimlessly through drinking, partying, making money. And then where when does the first switch yeah. flip? And so what it, what it was is that, you know, for me to like meet some really good looking girl at the bar who is kind of like a bartender or a waitress or worked at the mall, like something like that. Like that yeah. was easy. Um, and so that was what it always was. And then I met this, you know, I met this woman who's a couple of years older than me, gorgeous business suit. She was at like a business meeting. And, um, I was like, dang, like she kind of, could, I could tell like she was interested in me and I was like, holy cow. And so then in full transparency at the time I had a living girlfriend, um, <laughs> uh, 
who I, it's, it was weird. We had a good relationship and then she moved in and then it was like not as great anymore, which is kind of strange. And so, but she was so nice. I was like, I don't know how to move her out. I liked her and still we're friends today, but um, it all works out for a reason. So were you usually the uh, breaker upper with, or did people break up with you? I was like a hundred percent the breaker upper. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you never had so had to do that. with uh, And I would try, I would try to like get them to break up with me because I felt so bad. But just be an I, asshole until they broke up with me. Yeah, or just yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I did some of that. Or yeah, yeah I was I was usually the the one to try to break it off. But I was like, in my heart was nice, so like I didn't want to hurt feelings. So it's, I was just like, oh, I know. I just won't tell you because it'll hurt your feelings, and then I'll just go pursue dating somebody else. <laughs> It's just that doesn't work. I don't. I don't, no. I don't think that's good advice. No, not at all. <laughs> so, but I. So I met. I met my wife, and we kind of started dating. And I was like, man, if I want to keep this one, like she's the one, right? And you could ask like Will Black. He was there when I met her, and my buddy Eric, who's still really good friends of mine. And I was like, this is the one. She. I, I'm marrying this woman. And like both of them were like, what? Like I was the guy that was like, I'm never getting married. Yeah. I'm going Hugh Hefner until I die. And. uh <laughs> And I knew it. And so I, but I was like, I got to get my shit together. Like, I, you know, you can't date a couple women at a time and partying and bartending. And mm-hmm. just like, I was like, I got to change my stuff. Right? I got to change the stuff around. And so I was looking to, you know, and part of it was, I remember meeting her parents and her, and her dad literally like five feet behind us. We were walking after having dinner, the four of us and meeting him for the first time. He's like, what does she see in this bartender? And I'm like, Dude, I can hear you. Like <laughs> in my head, I'm like, what a jerk. But I needed to hear it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's there's as much stuff as her dad's drove me bonkers about. He's he's been very influential in pushing me in a direction I need to go, maybe not in the intended way. But yeah. but it made me think. I was like, Yeah, time to stop being a bartender, dude. And uh, Did any of that have to do with and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're you're the kind of person I think that if someone says you can't do something, you're going to do it. Oh, just to, if nothing else, you've got to prove them wrong. He's the same reason why I started uh, a company, uh, my first company. And so, but I heard that. So in my head, though, I was like, there's like that, that stubborn side of me that was like, what an asshole. The other side of me that was like, he's kind of right, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and now, obviously, like, I, I, I have a daughter and I think, like, dude, that dude better be top <laughs> yeah. notch. Um, and the thing that my wife, and this is the biggest probably the biggest takeaway of, of advice too I can give to people is that when you believe in somebody that somebody can become the best version of themselves. Yeah. And, and Michelle believed in me. She just, she's, she's like, I hear this guy's hopes and dreams and all the things he says he's going to do. But I mean, it, it was like a lot of hope and a lot of full of shit at the same time. <laughs> but she knew, I think she saw that I could do some of the things that I said I was going to do. And you know, I reached out to a buddy of mine, Chris Clow, who was in the mortgage industry. And I was like, hey, man, remember me from the bar? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm thinking about getting in the, you know, like kind of get out of that game. So it's weird. Or you know, suit and tie every day. Like, and um, I didn't really know much about sales, but I actually realized I was really good at sales because I was always good at talking girls into dating me and stuff like that. So I was very You're selling yourself. I was very persuasive in yeah. what I was doing. So I crushed it and I did really good in there. Plus they had a really a lot of great sales training and things like that. And, and really like building you up on who you are and motivation, all that kind of stuff. And you know, the rock quick and loans place is just, I still, to this day, it's an amazing place to work for young people, especially learning to like, yeah find themselves and, and so but yeah and you like so you bought in like 100 percent. 
And do you think a lot of that, and I think you kind of segue to this anyway, but like you were like Michelle, my, your future wife, like she's up here. I need to at least get to that level if I want to keep her and where I'm at is not at that level. Yeah. And part of us, there's a big insecurity. I think too is, um, and I've spent a ton of my life really insecure, which is probably why I did a lot of the things I did that I'm not proud of. But I look at it and I'm thinking like, she could be with anybody, like any of these, you know, guys making, you know, a couple hundred grand a year and like good looking or tall. I mean, like I could figure out all the ways of like, I didn't add up, which is something we talked about at church today. But, um, and, and we do it to ourselves, right? We figure out all the reasons why we don't add up or why we shouldn't be in this situation. And a lot of times we just wreck our chances of stuff yeah. instead of just stepping up and being like, I am this. Right. And too often the other side is we're like, we think we're all there. We got nothing to work on. Right. And so for me, it was like that. I was like, I got to do some stuff that I had to do so that I felt like I could keep the girl. Right. Yeah. And so that's why I started pursuing that career. And it was funny, you know, and I, when I, I still bartended a little bit on the side for like a, you know, just good, good money and whatever. I go to work at 10 o'clock, yeah. drink drinks until two and leave and make, you know, 300 bucks or something like that. <laughs> but, um, and so then I remember a buddy of mine was like, well, now you're married because we eventually ended up getting married. Um, he's like, what are you going to quit working out? And I was like, no. He's like, well, what are you going to He's like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe I'll do like a bodybuilding thing. He's like, you won't do that. And so <laughs> Again, I, someone told yeah. you. Oh, it's, always been, it's always been a catalyst. And so the, uh, and then I got into like bodybuilding and then we kind of did that stuff together too. But I found myself, but that was like another it was a bad path for like fueling that insecurity. I found like a new outlet for it. So yeah. instead of like taking down, you know, taking the best looking girl home from the bar or t- like these other things I was doing or like kicking the guy's ass who looked like the toughest guy around. You're just constantly searching for some so, sort of validation. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Like validation. Uh, and through, and, it, and I think a lot of it comes from uh, not understanding proper masculinity and security, like who you are and confidence in who you are. And so then I was like, Oh cool. I'll do that. So I went bodybuilding, went all in, um, and I'm a very obsessive person. Like when I make my mind up on anything, I go like, there's, there's, there's nothing left uh, unturned. I go all in on it, not just a little bit, um, and I, which I would do whether it was partying or when it was girls and, you know, bodybuilding and, and those kind of things like that. And, and now, uh, hopefully I'm doing it, I think with fatherhood and, uh, husband and, and obviously in business too, but you know, and then I kind of pursued that path which fed that, you know, bigger, stronger, you know, thing. And you kind of grow through that phase too. Do you think not having that father figure growing up created uh, this openness for you to find out what masculinity was through your own means and which led you down the path of maybe like taking all the girls home from the bar and, and the bodybuilding? Like these are, I mean, these are stereotypical masculine traits that, that, have been, I mean, categorized as, as somewhat toxic masculinity in, mm-hmm. in their own right. Mm-hmm. Is that an image you think you sought after? Because that's like, you didn't, we didn't grow up with a dad, right? So what a man was is something that you kind of had to figure out for yourself. Yeah. So I'll, it, part of that though, is that whether we grew up with our dad or not, yeah, we wouldn't have had a good role model. Well, yeah, and So yeah. like what I said, like, as you get older and you look back and I used to always think, you know, when I think of when I was, a, when I was, a, a boy and my dad wasn't around, I was like, why doesn't this guy love me? Right? Like, yeah. why wasn't I good enough for him to stay? Right? And that's, that's some terrible, sad shit. Yeah. And then I went to teenager years where I'm like, 
that dude's an asshole. Why'd he leave? Who cares about him? And then in my 20s, I was like, whatever. I'm so focused on myself. I don't really care about anybody else. And so I, I didn't care. And then when I became a father, it kind of revisited that like, man, why would you not want to be here? Nothing makes me happier than being with my kids and seeing them do stuff. And I was like, it's not hard. And like, why? you know, and I think dad never thought he didn't know how to be a good dad. And, and you may or may not know this, but like his dad, our grand, grandpa lamb was a total asshole to him, but told him he was an idiot. He was worthless. He was stupid. He never amount to anything. So he believed that bullshit. And yeah. because he believed that he didn't believe he could be a good dad. He could not believe he'd be a good husband. So he went and pursued what he knew best, which was just drinking his, his stuff away. And then when I got older, you know, and, and kind of on that self-awareness path, read hundreds of books on stuff. And then I look back and I'd see dad when he's alcohol dementia, doesn't really even know who I am. And then I felt sorry for him. So yeah. like this whole cycle of, I look back and I'm like, man, I can't, you know, I was, I was so angry. I was, you know, so sad. And then I look back and I'm like, you know what? I'm glad it all worked out the way it did because he wouldn't have been a good influence. Yeah. You know, I had some decent influence guys from time to time in my life. Um, well, I mean, the way you wouldn't be, I wouldn't be, no, none of us would be the people we are if that right. stuff didn't happen, you know? So, right. And, and I think that needs to be something that we all have to focus on in our life. And it's, that's one of the challenges. I think young people that I work with, they don't see that then. Yeah. And I'm like, your storm right now is going to be what takes you where you're going to be later on. But yeah. you just got to stay like, stay positive and stay focused. It's really hard. Um, well, let's, let's segue over. How old are you when Michael's born? Your son? 28. What's that like becoming a parent? It was cool, but you know, becoming, um, and it's funny cause this flip flops too. So like having a boy, I was like, Oh, it's easy. It's a little stud like his dad <laughs> kicking ass and picking up chicks. And cause Didn't, I was still like yeah. of this kind of ignorant mindset. And, and I thought I was like, that's easy. I know how to. I know boys, I know guys. And then my daughter came and I was like, Ooh, this is going to be tough. I was like, I don't know. I don't know how to raise them. Cause I was, I was thinking of the, the practical stuff, like changing a diaper or like yeah. girl, little girls. What are they into? I don't know. I have a brother. I didn't have a girl. I didn't have a sister. I don't, I don't know these kind of things, but as I've gotten older, what I realized, and this is something that the dads may be listening to, 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 to hear is I realized I actually was I'm really good with women. I'm really good at listening to women. I'm really good to communicating with women. I've been like that my entire life. What I haven't actually been good at is having good relationships always with men. And I don't really know how to teach my son how to be a great man, a great young man, a confident young man, but a controlled young man. And and like all these things, I was like, holy shit. Oh my gosh, can I go back? Because I want to, I'm like, I got to go back to when he was like born so I can change this because I, I came to this realization you know later because my daughter it's easy like i've if there's one thing i always had success with is relationships with women you know like they, i might have had a couple bad girlfriend situations but like that's but like for the most part i i had good relationships with women and i was like oh i can i know how to love her i know how to just treat her well i know how to say the good things to her to make her believe in herself and, and feel great about herself but my son man i don't know and then it yeah. It flipped a few years ago where I was like, I got to really make sure. So I started reading books and, you know, there's a lot of really good books out there. Like Raising a Modern Day Knight, I highly recommend. Um, uh, I think it's Call of the Wild. There's one recently or something like that I read. But it, it's, it's you know important to raise your son to be the best man they can be, you know, not who you were if you weren't 
the best. Yeah. And, well, we all want to do better than our parents, right? Yeah, but there's still a lot of parents out there that do a really good job. Um, so, yeah, he was born. I was 28. And I, you know, I don't know. I just, I didn't take parenting too serious. I would, like, go to work, crack a dawn, maybe see him in the morning, go to, you know, I was more focused on the gym than being a dad. I mean, for sure. I was like, go work yeah. out, come home, he's already in his crib, and, and so forth. Is that anything, like, looking back, you wish you would have done a little differently? No. Don't get emotional. Like, you're, like when they're little tiny babies, like, they yeah. don't. Like and, and I think kids or kids or parents overdo how much they think they need to be with their kids. Like, if I spend fifteen like legit minutes, you know, like every so for me, what's important is every night I took my kids in. If I'm in town, if I'm physically sleeping in that same house, yeah. and home, and they're still home, I'll go upstairs, tuck them in. We like do prayers, kisses, and just all that kind of stuff um, every night, like without and, and that that in itself is more important than like sitting next to each other on a couch looking at your screens yeah, right yeah. and um and then just doing a contentional things of maybe you know i take michael lately like he'll go to the skate park or like you went with us we went go-karting right like so yeah. that that 40 minutes of go-karting is is it's a, it's a whole week's worth of like awesome stuff right i don't have to or you know like i never go to a soccer practices and every now and then i do but i don't i try not to miss a game um, things like that. So parenting's tough. There's no, there's no, um, manual, but I figured I was like, the main thing that Michelle and I did going into it is I was like, you know what? There's people way stupider than us that figure this thing out. We'll figure it out. Right. You just kind of go with your gut. And, um, cause as most young adults are still trying to figure out who the hell you are. And then now you got to raise another human. <laughs> it's, it's stressful, but you know, life, life's not easy but you sure got to try hard. So know. I'm going to just another thing I kind of talk about with everybody that has kids and as someone that will have kids eventually, um, one of the scariest things for me is what's a, how, everything that's out there, like digital devices, content. Uh, how, how do you manage that in a way that, almost like protects them without, you know, building a cabin in Northern yeah. Michigan and not letting yeah, them know it, electricity. Helicopter parents. <laughs> uh, my pet peeve, the helicopter parents is all these parents have to drive their kids to school. So they're scared that they, of them riding the bus. It's yeah. Just bonkers. Stop driving your kids to school. <laughs> Let them ride the bus. They're going to learn a lot of things that are bad. But what about <laughs> devices specifically? Yeah, I don't Here's, I, I mean, mean, here's, here's the reality of stuff is since the dawn of time, there's yeah. always been something, right? Yeah. Whether you're looking at, you know, I like to study history and I look at, you, know, you can look at presidencies, you know, there's like drama, the, you, know, you got the Trump stuff or there was the Obama, like from the dawn of time, there's been drama going on, right? There's always been adversaries and those things. And, and with children, whether it was, the, you know, they're worried about free sex and love in the 60s, like there's always something. Yeah to be worried about. And I think if you just instill good values in your kids, like, you know, it's funny going back to my, uh, when we were young, our mom, I would say is a little more paranoid and worrisome and fearful than the average person. I thought a lot of anxiety there. Yeah. Yeah. I thought every time I went to the bathroom, someone might be trying to molest me <laughs> and, and there's a good and a bad to it, right? Like, like yeah. I wasn't molested, thankfully. Um, but at the same time, like there's certainly there's a fear that, 
you got to buffer. You can't put all your fears. You, like That's a big thing. You can't put your fears on your child. Yeah. You can try to like create a safe environment. Um, but I'm straight with Michael. Like if I'm talking, you know, he might go away to like a, a camp this year or something like that. I'm like, listen, dude, nobody under any circumstance has a right to touch you anywhere. And if you do, I'm like, you can scream, swear word or whatever you want. He thinks that's funny. But the reason I say it is I want to create a trigger. Yeah, yeah. I want him to create like, you can yell F you, you whatever. If someone's trying to do that to, to create this trigger in him to know that it's the same thing. And same thing with my daughter. Like I haven't really, I don't want to have those scary conversations, but you know, there's a lot of people that I talk to that have had, the molested or the disabused and that kind of stuff in it. And it, then it's like, you're stealing this innocence that creates a snowball of mess for the whole life. Like I just have zero sympathy for those people that do that stuff. Like that's just, like I said, go be a drug dealer or something else. Don't, don't hurt children. Right. Don't even, it was something we mentioned at at church today. Our pastor seems like your words can be so powerful to a kid. He was talking about, he was somewhere and his son was kind of small for his age and, and you remember being a, he could go back to a store when his son, who's now 25 years old, was the lady like made this little hand signal of like, he's like, oh, look, he's, he's a short one for eighth grade. You know what I mean? And he's like, I want to rip her across the counter. And, uh, and this is, it's probably, he's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. But I can get it because you don't want to, that we're so sensitive. Our kids are so sensitive they're, and they should be because they're, they're new, they're little, and we should just be loving on them and encouraging them and those kind of things. And yeah, like Michael's on TikTok, you know, he's he'll, he's uh, almost twelve, and I see some stuff on TikTok, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not good, yeah. right? But he's watching guys like fart on their friend's leg and like you know do trick shots with basketball, and so it's like he's focused on other stuff. But the the real answer is just being present and intentional with speaking to your kids and teaching your kids about like boundaries and what's right and why. Like the boundary isn't here because I said it's here, it's here, let me explain to you why. And one of the great things that I learned too, uh, the thing that my pastor always says is, rules without relationship will always lead to rebellion. And, and it, it really hit home, and I think if you, because if you have rules, but you have a relationship, so like we have a relationship, whether it's like a father-son type thing, or a work relationship, whatever it might be, a, a husband and wife, yeah. and there's an understanding within the relationship of respect and care you can create rules, boundaries, standards. Um, otherwise, if you just said, hey, here's the line, this is it, right? And, and there isn't a relationship, there will always be rebellion. And, and, uh, and that's where there's, there's some people that talk about, you shouldn't discipline your kids too much. You know, discipline leads to the kids that act out and try to go the other way. That's crazy too. There needs to be balance. Those are usually the people that don't have the relationship. They just have the rules. Yeah. Um, and then they leads to rebellion. So, uh, change subjects here but you so you go from bartending to mortgages um how do you end up in a space where you are creating companies in in some of the weirdest areas mm-hmm. and then you know you've sold a couple right mm-hmm. uh, like what how do you get to that point yeah so i, I you know i your career's I, taken a lot of weird turns, and it's... it's yeah, so I, I got in the mortgage space and learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about business. I, I met a lot of really successful people. At the same time, I was doing, like, nutrition coaching and stuff like that. So I had some, I had some like, pretty fluent folks that I did their nutrition stuff, and, like, they would text me pictures of their menus, and I'd tell them what to eat, and 
and I had this little side hustle on that. And a guy named Josh Linkner, who you may know of from Detroit, he used to be one of Dan Gilbert's partners. He has an awesome book called Discipline Dreaming. Um, he, I just shot him an email one time because he's Dan Gilbert's partner. I was just like, oh, I'm shooting an email. See if he'll meet with me. And, and I had some ideas, like some marketing ideas I wanted to buy him. He's like, man, you're, he's like, you're really smart. He's like, you really have that entrepreneur spark. Have you ever thought of doing this kind of stuff? And in, in short, and I'll go back to when I first met my wife, to reiterate, my wife believed in me. Yeah. And so because someone believed in me, so did I, right? And this guy, Josh Linkner, he's like millionaire, he's exited, he started like uh, just some, some pretty awesome companies, he's Dan Gilbert's partner, he's like doing all these things. I'm like, this dude thinks I could, I could do all this stuff? And I'm like, look how, I gotta figure out something to do. And um, I'll, I'll never forget, I was down in Florida at Michelle's parents' house. It was like, it might've been our first Christmas. Uh, I don't remember, it, it, was, it was pretty early in the game. And um, asking her dad to, if I could marry her, that was hilarious. He dodged me for like six days. He knew the question was coming. He would like, if it was just him and I in the room, he'd bolt. <laughs> That's so funny. That's really I, funny. Won't, I won't go to that story. It's a funny one. <laughs> uh, but we were out on the back deck of his house, and I was looking at something. I was talking about Facebook. And he's like, oh, that's stupid. He's like, some, it's just a, you know, like, here today, gone tomorrow type thing. And it was, Facebook was relatively new. I was like, no, no, there's, there's a ton of money to be made in the advertising and all this stuff and social media. Like, I was like, yeah. And he's like, no. He's like, that's oh, just, a, he's like, he says, what do you, not the word, like a scam, not a scam, but like, a, you know, just like some fly by night. Yeah. He made it sound like, you know, and, and these other tech, I was kind of mentioning these other tech companies. He's like, yeah. ah. He's like, oh, it's just, just MySpace 2.0. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't know what a MySpace was. But <laughs> but I remember him kind of talking about it. And I in, I wanted to wholeheartedly have like a conversation with him and talk like business. But one thing I've known about him, I love my father-in-law, but if it's not in his wheelhouse, it's stupid, right? And yeah. it's just because he just doesn't know it. And, and I've seen him in, you know, 15 years or whatever. He's, he's obviously changed and come to see stuff. We spend a lot of our lives stubborn, right? As, as we get older, hopefully we don't stay stubborn. But, and I remember he was like, what, I forget what he called it. It wasn't skin, like, you got to figure out your blah, 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 or whatever. And in my head, I was so, I mean, I went inside and I called my buddy Eric. I'm like, we got to start a company. I, like, I, I just want to prove him wrong. Like, he was like, or gimmick or something like that. He's like, oh, you got to create some gimmick like Facebook. And in my head, I'm like, now I look back at it, I'm like, was it a gimmick? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> and so, and at the time, I, so I had these guys, I was doing this online coaching thing on the side while I was doing the portfolio manager thing. And my buddy, Eric, I was, you know, we were always like trying to like, what can we start a company? We had a buddy that got into the hormone replacement therapy space and he was not super sharp, but he was doing pretty good. And then I went back to Josh Lincoln and I was like, Hey man, here's what I'm thinking. Um, I want to put together you know, almost like this concierge type uh, company that helps manage patients to find doctors for hormone therapy. He's like, dude, that's genius because those those guys were talking about how they had these issues trying to find a dial, like all this stuff. They had to fly in a plane, yeah. all this stuff. And so I began like this problem solving thing. And so I like didn't know my head from a hole in the ground trying to put figure out business. I had zero, you know, I made a ton of mistakes, you know, wasted a ton of money. There's plenty of businesses I've started that failed. Um, but starting that path and like kind of perfecting it and going different routes with it, which, you know, in after about eight years of doing that and a couple like other little side projects grew it to the, the company is today. It's one of the largest uh, telemedicine hormone replacement therapy clinics in the country. And, uh, but it's just through and that even believe it in me, you know, like I've had, 
I think of like my business partners today are guys that were friends that became clients that became investors that became business partners that have now you know I've like proven my worth yeah. um, that I can do you know create business and, you know you spend a ton of, I mean I've read literally hundreds of books and wrote one but just read hundreds of books of just learning about everything in healthcare to you know medicine to business to self-improvement and you know all that kind of stuff and so I think a lot of self-learning is probably the biggest takeaway. There's a lot of people I think have hopeful hearts, like they're passionate, they're like super passionate, but uh, they don't even know where to begin. You know, it's like having this laser or, or just big light that needs to be focused like a laser and they just yeah. don't know how to do it. And so um, I also try to spend time helping people focus their light into a laser, you know, because one thing that I think has been a gift of mine, at least that's what my business partners are saying, is that I see things that, like I see like over the horizon, like things that others don't see. So I'm able to put things together, like with a vision of like how, what can work, what yeah. will work, what needs to happen to make that happen. Look past the roadblocks to see where the, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Putting those things together. Yeah. And so I like to help people see that. Cause a lot of times we don't see, we spend most of the time staring at our feet, yeah. you know, and uh, it's hard to see what, where we actually need to go. I'm curious. You mentioned uh, you started a bunch of companies that didn't work. Um, yeah. What was, whether it be financially or just personally, whatever, what was the biggest failure from that? And what did you learn from it? Business partners. One is, you know, like what was like, what company failed the most or not? What do you mean by it? And well, I'll tell you, you a funny one. So I had a company called, uh, we started called mortgage mole and it was okay. going to be, um, I still own the domain. It was going to be called, <laughs> it was going to be, um, it was a great idea though. Like what it, what it did is it was, it would take through algorithm it would figure out what all the rates were at different banks. Yeah. And it would feed like, it would tell you where the rate was. Yeah. Right? There's a bunch of different. Well, like, it was like lending yeah. tree. Lending, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but what lending tree does is whoever pays lending tree the most, okay. that's the rate you see. <laughs> gotcha. Right. That's not, it would that's not transparent. Yeah, it's yeah. not good. And so I was like, that's, that's BS. Yeah. We want to create a transparent one and that, but where we made money is it was a membership for the banks so that if the banks, you know, if they had to pay, you know, whether you had a great rate or a crappy rate, you pay whatever X amount of dollars a month to be on our site. And, and, but I had no clue like what customer acquisition was and like how much it costs to get, you know? So, yeah, I, yeah. but fortunately I had some really smart people. So, I mean, I had it, had the logo, you know, the, the website, I had a couple of emails going. I had a, a partner, this guy who's a moron, but I shouldn't even say that. I feel bad, but he just, in the time was, yeah. he was lesson number one about, bad business partners um and then we kind of i ran it by like some people and it's like you know 250 grand to build the website and it was you know you're gonna have to be spending a million dollars a month just getting customer like getting traffic to like you know trying to launch like your your different web platforms that no one's yeah. ever heard of and i was like all right this isn't gonna work and, and you know we didn't spend much money launching it but i thought it was but to me the thing that i got out of it is everybody was like, dude, that's a, that's a great idea. Like yeah. I had the answers. I had the thought process of how it could be done. I did the res research and found the right resources to like make it, build it. But I just didn't have, you know, that you needed like 10 million, 5 million to get that thing going. Did you spend any time in that slump when you were like, this isn't going to work? No, I mean, that's one thing about me that I, that I think a lot of people need to remember is like, take the punch in the face and just freaking move on. Just like, like my, fifth grade. 
yeah, punch I just, in the face. Yeah, I just didn't. Uh, I've never been one that lets failure set me back. Like yeah. if one girl, if I was like, oh, I'm going to go talk to that girl. She's like, oh, no. I wasn't like, oh, my God, I got to go home. I was like, what's your friend's name? Like, I, didn't, <laughs> I just, rejection is never, and it shouldn't be. It's all emotion, yeah. right? I was just like, if it doesn't work, like. Well, I think that's one of the things that makes you good at sales, right? Is well, it, you got to take a lot of no's. Yeah, but I think it makes you good at business because it's like where there's a will, there's a way, yeah. right? And so, you know, figuring out how to do, you know, launch, you know, one of the largest telemedicine clinics in the country and be compliant in all states and all these things and make it, you know, the, all the the automation and all this stuff like put together is like, it, it was really hard to, to build that. Um, but through doing that is like figuring out like when someone's like, can't do that. I'm like, Oh really? Let's see. You know, and trying to find out how you can do it um, was, it, that's just one of the things like, you know, same thing when someone tells me I can't do something. Yeah. Um, I like to figure it out. And now if, if a lot of people tell me I can't do something, I stop and I go, am I going to waste my time? Because there comes a point where like, I feel like God, God will shut doors that you're not supposed to go down and you may need to actually go through, through something else. And that's where I see, you know, when a business doesn't work out or a relationship doesn't work or, you know, like our dad wasn't around. So I'm like, you know what? That was actually probably the best plan. Yeah. I, I didn't see it then. And I, and I see it now. And sure. If ifs and buts were cherries and nuts and everything was totally different. Right. <laughs> But they're not, right? So it's like you just, yeah. you, you can't live in this fantasy like of, well, if this, if I was taller and this and this and lived here and had this, like, that's not real, man. That's not, you know what I mean? Yeah. So get over it and get, get going in the direction that, that you need to go in. So you kind of segued us into the, the last subject, really, I wanted mm -hmm. to touch on. And you've been mentioning it throughout, obviously. Uh, so I know, but for everyone else listening, Tell me what role religion played in your household growing up. Well, when we were young, and you may may or may not remember, but our grandparents, especially our grandpa, was oh, really yeah. religious. Yeah. He was um, he was all about you know God. And, you know, I think that we, I, I listened, but I didn't understand it. And I think for us, for me personally, is I saw somebody who. You know, like our grandpa was like big on God and Jesus and Wars Cross, but didn't always reflect the things that a Christian should be in what I thought a Christian should be. You yeah. know, and, and I think that's where we make the mistakes with Christianity is thinking it's all about this rules and the box and checking the checklist. And, and really, it's about a relationship with God. And, and I, I learned that later. And so, you know, growing up, I wouldn't I would say if someone asked, we grew up in a Christian house, but we didn't. We're holiday churchgoers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Easter exactly. and Christmas. And, and then I, the, I remember, uh, you may remember being at church, I think it was a Christmas thing, and you had to cough, and you didn't want to cough out loud. Yeah, and I you, know where this is going. You, learned over, you leaned over on mom's lap on her, like she had a leg, bare leg from a skirt, and I was like, a fart, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget. Like the whole church was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I actually don't remember that, but between you and mom, I have yeah, a pretty good visual of that story. That's pretty funny. <laughs> But yeah, I think we weren't real, you know, and, and I, and I think I grew up just, I don't know, you know, I've always had this feeling that there was a higher power. I've always been, I mean, I've studied everything from, uh, you know, quantum physics and all these different things in outer space. I mean, there's my, my favorite thing to do is watch and learn and read about the universe and outer space and aliens. aliens. Yeah. I love ancient aliens and all that kind of different stuff. But I love all that stuff. Um, so I've always been 
in my heart aware of like a greater power. And then about two years ago, you know, when we first moved to Texas, um, people a little bit more Christian down here and, and so you see it. And then I also realized like our kids didn't know anything about like zero, didn't know why we celebrate Christmas or any stuff. And I was like, you know, I, I don't want my kids to be embarrassed. I don't want my kids to not be in the know. Yeah. So Michelle and I was like, maybe we should start going to church. And she's like, yeah, you know, she's like, I'm fine with, with that. Um, and at that, right about that same time, I just had this experience where God just spoke to me and just came into my life and showed me, I was sitting in my office, it was a Friday morning, and God just took me on this path where he showed me all the way back to that seven-year-old kid that I mentioned the darkness. Um, and I, in that moment, remembered, A, going back through there and seeing all the things where I should be dead in jail and divorced, you know what I mean? And so I was like, uh, all this stuff that... I spent my whole life thinking I was that good, right? Yeah. Thinking I was, I, I did all the, this stuff. And, and for where I've gotten life at that point was pretty good for, you know, so I, you know, I tried to take all the credit for it and realize it was never me. And then going back to this seven-year-old me and realizing, because in this moment, I realized God was real. I realized God had a big play in my life. And that seven-year-old me was like, thank you. It was like, it was like this whole, your whole life, I've wanted you to know this, that you've been loved, that you've been cared for, that there is something very much greater than you that has been fighting for you since day one. And I was like released. And then in that moment, I just kind of went back and then God's like, I want to show you something else. And what he kind of laid in my heart was this future of purpose and impact and just success and I don't mean success like wealth money cars and, and that kind of BS like just the success that was in my heart of like changing lives and having a huge impact on, on the world and stuff like that like he showed me that, that that's coming he's yeah. like all you got to do is believe and stay faithful and I was like I'm in and so I was like two years ago and so like I, I still haven't gone to church it took me like a month to go to church I wouldn't share that experience with my wife because I was like people are gonna think I'm crazy and um, so we started going to church and I had this friend that I met. She almost had like this, like she said, she had visions of me being at her church and speaking in her church and changing lives in my church. And I was like, this lady's crazy. I, don't even, I wouldn't even go to church for like a wedding. And then fast forward six months later, I was you know, asked to be in our youth group and doing those kind of things. One of the craziest things that happened in that is a buddy of mine, Jason, that next day called me up. He said he was woken up out of bed to call me. From, you know, he said God told him to tell me something and, which seemed kind of strange, but he's like, God told me to tell you, don't worry about the rules, worry about the relationship. And I think that applies though in so many things in life, you know, if yeah. when we, whether it is a relationship of you, you meet the girl or the guy or the job and you're like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta do this. And I gotta do this as opposed to like, maybe I just should get to know you. Maybe we should just share and connect and learn about each other, who we are and who we are in each other's life. And then all the other stuff built itself. You know, and so that was kind of my exposure into it. And um, and so it was neat. It was like kind of something that was always on my heart, something that I always knew was there. And then when I surrendered and was like, yeah, all right. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I didn't, I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't know. What, like, I was even like, yeah, you know, this God thing, this higher power thing, but this Jesus thing, I don't know. I, don't know. I, I just didn't know. Yeah. And like I was saying to you earlier, I spent a lot of time like researching everything but Christianity just in my reading and you know whether it's Hinduism or uh, the Quran and all this stuff I didn't read anything about Christianity because I 
made my mind up on what it already was. Yeah. Right. It's a bunch of self-righteous people judging everybody, telling you how to live. I was like, that's not for me. And when I realized it's about Jesus and it's about just being good and loving people and believing in people and inspiring people and lifting people up, I was like, dude, that's, that sounds like what's on my heart to do. And so that's, that's really propelled me uh, personally in my life yeah. where I'm at today. Cool. Well, uh, you got a million things going on. You want to promote a few of them here? You got, I mean, we're sitting in the office of, what's this called? So this is Regenerative Revival. So what, what I do really uh, for a living is I help open medical clinics for physicians. So like our nationwide telemedicine, we have a, a bunch of docs that they own the, 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 phys, the physician service of it. And so our job is to help facilitate patients and yeah. scheduling and all that kind of stuff. And so we do the same thing here in uh, the Woodlands in Houston for regenerative medicine. So like kind of like a stem cell treatments and uh, PRP, all that kind of stuff for like orthopedic issues. And so that's, we have an office here and then we'll go, I'll probably put a couple in Austin. I think I'm going to come back home to Michigan and do it. Um, I got a couple opportunities just throughout the country to build these. And so that that's, that's what's grown into my passion is I love building business. I've got pretty good at it, yeah. you know, and that's, I don't like owning a business. I don't like the day to day come to work. Like if it's like, once it starts getting like the same, I'm like, I get yeah. shaky, but my partners know that too. So then it's building the business that I can either sell, like I can exit or my piece in the business and the day to day can be replaced. So I don't have to be here so I can go Do to the next else. place. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so, uh, it's like a builder wanting to build a house and live in it. Like you can't, you got to build a house and go build the next house and go build the next house. And so I like doing that. Um, that's, you know, that's my favorite thing to do. So yeah, I don't really have anything to plug. I hope everybody enjoyed listening to the talk. Yeah. Um, learning about a little bit about me. And if there is anything they want to know about, I have a book too. I guess we didn't even talk about that. I wrote a book when I, I quit drinking. We probably didn't even talk about that. Didn't even talk. Yeah. No, I quit. I quit drinking like three and a half years ago, um, and about ninety days into that journey, I was like, "Dude, I got to share this. I'll never drink again." I decided to never drink again because I felt so good, and wrote a book called "Better Than the Binge: Overcoming the Social Obligation of the Alcohol." And it was triggered though because our dad, who was always an alcoholic, um, he died. When he died, I, was, I told myself, "I was like, my dad dies, I'll quit drinking." And then he died, and I was like, in the midst of trying to build the supplement company under a bunch of stress. Which it was just all BS excuses. I didn't, yeah. I didn't quit drinking. Um, and I was probably doing a drink or two every single day. And, uh, and then that year anniversary came around of his death, which kind of was my real trigger of going, maybe I need to, maybe I need to quit drinking. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe I'll do it now. Now I'm, now I'm ready. And then I, I did and I never looked back. Yeah. And, uh, so I wrote the book and that's, that's something too that, um, I'm passionate about is, you know, it's not pushing. It's just like, Hey man, you want to talk about your relationship with alcohol yeah. I'm here? Right. Same thing with, with, you know, my Jesus stuff. Like you want to talk about that? Great. You want to talk about your health? Great. Like I don't walk around telling everybody how to live their life. I don't think yeah. you have, I don't think you can be very impactful telling people what to do all the time. Agreed. Well, thank you. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. This is fun. This is good. Thanks for letting me kind of separate myself from our own relationship and doing it. And yeah, you did great. And yeah. Right back at you. All right. You just listened to my interview with my brother, Adam Lamb. 
Um, <laughs> it was such a strange experience to to sit there um, and interview him, and it's it's very you know a lot of these things that he said you like I didn't I didn't know you know I, I like I said at the beginning of the episode there's there's such a difference in perspective um, because he was older and even though we lived in the same house and and went through some of the same stuff like he understood a lot of it differently uh, he you know he lived a different life than I did and uh, under the same roof it's 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 really crazy to think about but it's also like it's wild to me um i mean a lot of you know I, i'm going to school to become a therapist and uh, i'm a big proponent of therapy and it, it's wild to me that you know someone can be so I'm trying to think of the word i'm looking for but so uh aware of uh these these things that have created this validation um, and of course I'm talking about money and and how this is this 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 thing and all my brother's stories this financial thing always plays a role from like the girl in second grade who said you can't afford to play football to you know everybody when he's a bartender like throughout his life anyone that tells him he can't do something uh, his father-in-law telling him he's not you know like uh, he's just bartender so he's not good enough for his daughter um, all these things it's all it's all finance related it's all money related and it's like a driving force and there's like there's some real trauma there and you know i think a lot of people hear the word trauma and think like sexual abuse or or you know physical abuse and um that's not the case trauma can you know come up in a lot of ways and i think uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff there that he's yet to kind of deal with he's identified that's the weird thing to me he's identified it but not really dealt it with it but the the crazy thing is i don't know i don't know if he would have the business success that he's had if he didn't have that driving force so if that driving you know there's this is the chicken before the egg situation right so if he doesn't have that driving force created by that trauma would he be as successful today? And if the answer is no, is that something he really wants to deal with? So there's a, there's a lot there. And, and, and like uh, everyone else I've interviewed that has kids, um, there's always stuff to learn from those comments as well. So it was really unique, really unique sitting there with my brother. And I'm glad he was willing to do it. And I'm glad that I was willing to do it. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. And I hope you guys are staying, uh, staying home, staying healthy, staying safe. It's a crazy world right now. Crazy world. Um, I do want to make a little comment on, on the note of therapy. I've had, and I don't want to say an alarming, but it's, it's, I like that word. I've had a large amount of people reach out to me, uh, about therapy during this quarantine. And I don't think that's a coincidence. And a lot of people are questioning this, the virtual version of therapy, right? Like the talking to someone on a webcam. Um, and I need to let you know, like, I highly, highly recommend it. And there's a lot of people that are um, really opposed to it for a number of reasons. I've heard reasons like uh, you don't think you're going to have privacy because there's so many people in your house. Um, you don't think 
it's safe to broadcast that stuff over the internet. Uh, there are just a number of different reasons that people have given me. And I, I tell everybody the exact same thing, which is try it once and tell your therapist those concerns. That's like something you can discuss. Um, that's, that's the whole point. So, so give it a try, please. If you're one of the people that's thinking like, I don't want to do that this way. Um, don't write it off before you at least try it. And like, if there's somebody you should be able to talk to about your concerns with that, it should be your therapist. So, uh, try it out, see if it works. And if it doesn't, you know, it doesn't. And, and there's no therapist out there that's going to force you into going to therapy with them. Um, if it's not like if it makes you emotionally and mentally uncomfortable. So try it out. I bet it'll work. Uh, I also want to say one thing that my therapist told me that I recommended a friend of mine go to their car to do therapy because it's like, oh, there's a place you can be private. And it sounds funny, but then I, I told my therapist I did that. <clears throat> and she's like, Justin, most of my calls are with people sitting in their car. <laughs> Because a lot of people have families, and that's like the place they can go and get away. All right, guys. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Um, I'm doing a lot online. If you're bored under my personal accounts, um, I do a Facebook Live every day. Play some music. All of them are on there. I, I save the videos, so you can go there and watch those. I played my album in its entirety a couple days ago. Um, and a bunch of other random crap. Uh, try to keep it all positive and uh, spread around a bunch of weird toxic crap all right i love you i will talk to you next week my first skype interview with a childhood friend i was so excited to talk to but that's next week all right i love you talk to you later bye bye